Welcome to another episode of the Almost Awakened podcast. We're super excited to have you with us today. Uh, I am your host, Bill Real. Uh, grateful for this chance to sit down with you. Uh, you'll notice a couple of things. One is that new logo up there. Uh, we have simplified the logo. Um, it is Almost Awakened with a subtitle of a no-nonsense approach to spirituality. And we've also got some other exciting news, um, but I'm going to keep that somewhat under wraps. On about the middle of this month, certainly before the end of January, you're going to notice uh, something really exciting uh, happening with the Almost Awakened podcast. So please stay tuned. The Almost Awakened podcast is about trying to provide resources and tools to helping uh, humans to be able to uh, develop and to grow, to be a better version of themselves uh, tomorrow than they were today. And so we explore um, things within science, psychology, shadow work, human development, uh, conscious altering tools. We've done conversations on music, meditation. Uh, we just, we really want to strive to provide a platform where the best of information along with uh, a deep dive uh, maybe I should say it differently rather than deep dive saying because uh, we scour kind of the wisdom traditions and try to find um, wisdom that has helped humans to treat each other better, to be kinder to themselves, to be accountable to their own uh, flaws, but to do it in a healthy way that people feel encouragement to, to grow and to develop. So you'll hear that news coming up in a few weeks. We're just really excited about where the Almost Awakened podcast will be going and, and the new ground it's going to be covering and some of the new things that are going to be happening happening on it. Um, today's episode, I wanted to spend some time talking about three conversations I had at the end of last year. These three conversations, uh, let me preface it by saying these are going to sound arrogant. I These were three situations where I think I showed up really healthy and I handled things really well. Um, so it's me bragging a little bit. but. But it's also, I don't know that I could have had these conversations five years ago. I don't think I could have approached or said what I did. And I would have done it very differently and much less healthy. And so I really am sharing these so that I can help each of you to have uh, these insights as well. And, and then you can show up better in the world uh, too. And so the first one is uh, we were at a bar uh, a couple months ago and uh, every month, a group of our friends put together a uh, a night out with each other, and it's called the Outer Darkness Drinking Club. And uh, we this on this occasion we met at a converted firehouse. So it was a fire station firehouse that was converted into a bar. It was a three story, and every floor of the building is decorated a little differently. On this night, we were on the middle floor. There's a bunch of soft couches and chairs to sit in. There's enough space maybe for three, four, maybe even five groups of people to kind of gather in depending on size. You know, you can have a group of five over here and a group of three over there and there's two here and four there. And you can get, a, you know, enough people in the room that not everybody would know each other. And uh, there was one little table with a chair on each side. and There were two um, beautiful younger women uh, sitting there having a conversation over a mixed drink. Uh, they were both dressed nice. They were both smiling, having a good time, laughing. Uh, enjoying each other's company. I don't know if it was a business meeting. I don't know if it was um, a date that they were on. I don't know if it was just two friends who got together. No idea. But what happened next was there was uh, a guy who came in about the same age. I think I would put everybody in their low to mid 20s. Uh, a guy comes in and he's really awkward. He's You can just see that he's lacking some sort of social skills, 
social awareness to be able to handle the situation um, in a way that most of us would perceive it as as normal or healthy, whatever those words mean to you. And uh, as he gathered, he comes in and he kind of stood behind one of the women of these two women. So he's kind of behind her back and her friend is across from her. So he would be in her uh, direct eyesight or line line of sight. And as they're having a conversation, you can tell he wants to be noticed and wants to notice. You can see that his goal on some level is, hey, you two women, I'd like one or both of you to notice me. And somehow I'd like to figure out a way to be able to interact with you because I'm interested. And that's a pretty basic human behavior. We all go through life and outside of those who are asexual, all of us are trying to um, have our social needs met from the perspective of having friends, of having a connection with people, all the way up to trying to find a girlfriend or a boyfriend or somebody to have an intimate relation. And so humans, as they're striving to have those sort of needs met, each of us have different and varying levels of skill to, to do that, to be comfortable in a conversation with people, with strangers. Um, a little bit of sirens there in the background if you're picking that up. And uh, probably get a little louder before it gets quieter. And as this is going on, he, again, he looks really awkward in the space he's in. And you can sense that people are starting to notice. And to the point where even my friend group, there's seven or eight of us there, are starting to kind of lean into each other and whisper, hey, do you know he's really awkward? Or you see that guy over there? And at that moment, I just felt this deep immense of compassion for him. And uh, I, I said to my friends, I said, hey guys, hold on a moment. Um, and, and by the way, I should stop here and say like gossip is a natural thing. We're all trying to not talk about each other. I, I'm a deep believer that people's stories are sacred and that you shouldn't stare, share uh, people's sacred stories with others when you don't have permission or um, or, you're, or you're using that story to get your own praise. Like people should have the right to tell their own stories. And when you know something about someone, you shouldn't be running around and sharing that with others. And I think I do a pretty good job of that. I'm, I'm not perfect, but I, I think I'm pretty damn good. And uh, I recognize that gossip is a human invention. We've covered it before in this podcast, but you know, a, a human tribe, a tribe of 10 humans, 15 humans can survive out you know, 200,000 years ago out in the, the jungles of Africa or any other place for that matter, based for the most part on their intimate awareness of each other. You're in such close proximity and interaction with everyone around you that you know what everybody's skill set is. You understand what their temperament is. You, you as a tribe know how to get the most out of them collectively and how to perpetuate your species. But bigger tribes kill smaller tribes. And so at some point, human beings invented language and language allowed us to uh, talk about each other, which allowed us to increase the size of our tribe that we could safely perpetuate, you know, that tribe over a smaller tribe, because you could now convey information about each other without knowing each other directly. I know Gary, but I don't know Jan. And so Gary can tell me Jan's good traits, compliments, um, outside of her presence. And he can, Gary can also tell me negative things about Jan and, uh, and gossip about her in that way, in an unhealthy way, but also healthy, like healthy in that it conveys to that tribe 200,000 years ago, who's good and not good at what. And hence you would have a better chance surviving with the hunting party 
or the gathering party or the social cues to uh, cooperate with each other and be friendly enough anyway to get production out of each other so as to survive. And and this doesn't pertain to the story, but it could go one step further where even bigger tribes use the um, tool of myth, creating stories about each other and about their tribe in order to perpetuate. And hence, myths have the binding power of helping millions of people work together and collaborate and uh, and and join together for some larger purpose. And so myth has allowed even bigger tribes to crush smaller tribes uh, that worked through gossip who crushed even smaller tribes who didn't have gossip at all before possibly language is even invented or just after when one tribe gathered those skills and the smaller tribe had not yet done so. And uh, you can see like if you had a thousand people in your tribe, if you don't have gossip and you don't have myth because you don't have language yet, if you don't do what primates do, which is to uh, groom each other, to pick the gnats out of each other's hair and to run fingers through each other's hair and pick up bugs and debris and help keep each other clean and that bonding experience, um, if you don't have that, then you're just simply going to have to be a really small tribe of people because you don't have the mechanisms in place in order to cooperate and work with people you do not know directly, aka strangers. So I say all that to go back to the story, which is that when humans are together, it's very natural to gossip. I don't mean anything negative on my friends. Some of them listen to this, so they might chuckle or or maybe even be frustrated that I'm sharing this story. But gossip is a natural thing. But we humans now, you know, it's the year 2022. This happened in 2021. But here we are, we're in this modern moment we really do have the education and tools and resources around us that can encourage us to be healthier with the way that we communicate to each other. And gossiping, uh, talking about another person outside of their presence, where they can't defend themselves or speak for themselves, is in my mind, almost always unhealthy. And so in this situation, I spoke up and I said, hey, say, hey guys, um, I can see what's going on. Like that guy is awkward, but can I say like he came to that moment? Honestly, he, 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 he's doing the very best that he can in this moment as he seeks to have his social needs met. Sorry. I always do this thing. I, I got acid reflux and I take medicine and stuff, but I just get sometimes in the middle of saying a sentence or whatever. And I can just feel like something's uncomfortable inside of me. And so I'll just kind of turn off to the side. It lets me finish my sentence until uh, I take a breath and then it kind of goes away, but it's something I've always dealt with. So you'll often see me kind of turn a little bit. It's a little awkward thing I do to be able to finish uh, what I'm saying here in a recorded podcast where I'm trying to get out an entire uh, stream of thought without having to stop um, and pause the recording software. So I said, you know, hey, he, you know, this gentleman came to this moment, honestly, he's doing the very best he can. He's trying to have his needs met. And, you know, we all ought to just sense that that that. And essentially encourage everyone to kind of have some degree of compassion because it's hard enough when you're an awkward person and you really are doing the best you can, but it's hard when you're an awkward person to be in some social interaction and then to realize that there are, you know, 10 people off to the side who are, um, who are essentially, you can see them kind of giggling, chuckling, talking about you. And, you know, it's hard enough to do what you're doing without that. And, uh, so that got the situation uh, to change. It, it got everybody to kind of focus back on the group of us and to start 
to continue, I should say, our conversations that were going on. But I would simply note to you, the viewer and listener, that we humans really are doing the best we can. And Sam Harris makes the argument that there is no free will. And I I find that argument to be um, convincing to a large degree. And while I'm not quite ready to say I'm 100% at the idea that there is no free will, um, I also see a lot of merit in that perspective. And if there is no free will, I mean, sure, certainly we can change. We can make decisions today or in this moment that allow us to show up differently in the next moment. But in any given moment, at the very present moment, we all are doing the best we can. Um, and, and when you sense that humans are doing the best they can, hence when we see someone do something unhealthy or awkward or not what we would do, we can understand them differently and have a whole lot more depth of compassion and awareness for what brought them to this moment and uh, and why they're operating the way they are often in tv shows that i watch you in a really good tv show that's well the script is well written you have human beings who often get themselves in these sticky situations but they're they really you can see how they came to that naturally how you know they made this choice and that choice put them on this path and then that path has them having to be forced into this choice and next thing you know they're you know being held by terrorists in a foreign country with a bomb that's going to go off in 3 hours that they have to somehow find and save the world and you're like man if you start off with that premise you're like man how the hell does someone get into that situation and you know you watch a show like 24 or you know and there's certainly better written shows than that but it's a good show to demonstrate extreme situations and, and it's a well-written show by the way and just i know it better and uh, you can you can watch that show and go like oh that's how they got there and so you look at humans in this moment around you your friends your family your co-workers every human is so different and alien inside their mind can you cut them slack and understand them as they are and, and sense how they got to this moment and why they respond the way they do or why they react the way they do and I think that's of deep value. The, the second story, I'm sitting around with a group of my friends at another party. This is at a person's house. The person's house that we're at, they are friends of mine. Um, they are not, I don't know them super well, but they are definitely more than acquaintances. And they have their friends over, us and other people. And these other people are more acquaintances of mine. I don't know all of them. Some of them are complete strangers. Some of them I've seen a time or two, and some of them I've been around maybe four or five, six times, but I don't know them well enough yet. I haven't been in a social setting where I've had the opportunity and taken advantage of that opportunity to talk to the, these folks and move them from acquaintance to calling them friends. And so we're all sitting around. I know maybe four or five people out of maybe 18 to 22 people that are present and uh, somehow the conversation gets on to human relationships and this one guy who had who was divorced uh, just blurted out he was he was intense and he um, very much imposed his thought which is he he essentially looks out this kind of it's almost like a circle of us you know 20 of us in kind of a circle out on a patio and he kind of leans forward and goes, women are crazy. Women are insane. And that's why I will never get married again. And, you know, in that moment, the whole the whole aura of the conversation just went like. Mm. And uh, 
I don't know most of these people, so I, I like the rest of them, kind of pause, and I'm waiting for somebody who knows him well enough to go, you know, hey, that was extreme. But in a matter of maybe two seconds, nobody seems to come forward. You can kind of tell, right? There's that amount of time in which somebody's going to step forward and say something to kind of help us all rebalance the conversation. And you can kind of tell like, oh, it's not going to happen. And I waited because these aren't people I know well. And so it's really not my place. Um, But the pause was long enough that it felt really awkward to me. And so I just spoke up and I I said, um, and I was actually sitting right across from him. So there's this circle of people, pretty good sized circle, probably 15 feet from me to him. And, uh, and I look over at him and I I said, uh, I said, Hey, um, I, I agree with you. I said, sometimes women do things that don't make sense to me. And sometimes I think they are in, uh, some heightened emotional state for that moment. I said, but I said, we guys, we can be dicks too. And, um, our being, uh, a dick can lead to causing trauma and harm and shame and guilt and unsafe spaces for women to operate in. And sometimes women may escalate a situation in a way that you don't think is reasonable, or I don't think is reasonable, and maybe sometimes isn't reasonable, but for which we were the cause as men for why these women are doing whatever they're doing in this moment that you're not okay with, or maybe I'm not okay. And I said, but, and, and sometimes maybe they're acting appropriately and it's just your being not healthy that perceives them as being crazy or insane. When in reality, maybe the problem is us, the men. And uh, I kind of let it stop there. And, and, and whatever I just said now probably isn't exactly the way I said it, but it absolutely was the gist of the message. And I tried to do it in a way that, you know, I, at first I start off by throwing him a bone. I acknowledge that on some level, at least to him, there's truth in what he said. And then I tried to shine a light on and expose his blind spots and help him to see that, hey, you know, it, women aren't just this imposed idea that they're extreme all the time, they're crazy all the time, and uh, and it's so out of whack and doesn't make sense that all of us men should just stay away from them, which was kind of the gist of what he was saying. And I tried to convey the reality, and I know there's going to be people listening to this episode who are going to go, you know, Bill, you're not even wording it right, and I accept that. I'm sitting here on a re- essentially live recording that will be published at a later point, but you know, I want to make sure that I get through this episode and don't have to stop it and record it 10 more times. And so forgive me for where my language falls short. But the thought I wanted to convey is that we humans, male, female, or otherwise, that we humans are often triggered and we react. And in being triggered and in reacting, we sometimes say or do things that make other people deeply uncomfortable. Sometimes it's needed and sometimes it's unhealthy and unnecessary. And while he wanted to paint a picture that, you know, there's this extreme view that all women are crazy and hence we should essentially stay away from them and certainly not be in long-term relationships with them, my point to him and to all of us is that whenever you see a human being and you classify them into some group, you know, it's, it's white people who always act this way. It is women who always act this way. 
It is uh, Hispanic people who always act this way. It's um, doctors who always act this way. You know, whenever label you use where you split people into there are people who are this thing and there are people who are not this thing. And just for everyone here, the people who are this thing, there's something wrong with them and the rest of us ought to stay away from them or ought to choose to interact with them differently. Almost every time we use that sort of language, we are in the wrong and we are being bigoted or prejudiced of some sort. And in this situation, I I just wanted to be clear to him that whatever things women are doing that are bothering men, us men could use a lot more insight that there's a lot of, you know, there's sure as hell a lot of things that we're doing that are contributing to women not feeling safe or heard not having a safe space to be equal to the men in that group. Just in the last uh, four or five months, I've really noticed the privilege that men hold in a group conversation. And I've noticed how difficult it is for women to be heard and to have their voice on an equal valued plane as the men in that conversation. And uh, again, I'm, I'm not perfect at it, and I'm probably not even good at it yet. But it's something I'm aware of and making an effort in conversations that I'm participating in to try to create more balance, to try to help uh, voices that are less privileged to have a space to speak up and to share their thoughts. And uh, if any, you get anything from this story, it would be that whenever you put people into dichotomies or apply labels and then say like, anything more than the very person who's in front of me, that anybody like that person, they all have this problem or all do this thing, you're likely missing the mark. And uh, and I hope that as you're in social settings, that you will be aware of when people overreach and are applying definitions or labels or perspectives that are unfair to a collective group of people or even an individual person and that you'll develop the social court the social courage to point it out and and may I also suggest that there are times where you need to put somebody in their place harshly when someone is in the middle or about to inflict harm on people in a public space you need to act quickly and sternly and harshly perhaps so there, there are instances where that may be necessary, but I would say in most situations, if you really want to help people change minds, if you want them to think about ideas differently, you can't come to people as an enemy. You have to find some way to build a bridge with them and make a connection. So sitting with this gentleman you know, across from him and saying, hey, you're right, sometimes this kind of thing happens, was my way to try to build a bridge first and build some sort of trust and to hold him with care and concern before responding in a healthy way and trying to help him to develop new attitudes and perspectives and certainly let everyone else in that social setting know that it's not as extreme as that guy painted and there are other ways to understand why we all react and respond to each other the ways we do. So that story is number two. The the last story, I was in Vegas for Reggae Rise Up, which was a, a music fest. It was a two-day. There are two stages there. I've just, in the last couple of years, maybe a year and a half, I've really gotten deeply interested and fallen in love with reggae music. And so I went to this music fest in Vegas. That's about two hours away from me. 
And little did I know that my cousin uh, and her husband, uh, I love them both. I've spent a lot of time around both of them in my younger years and uh, um, grew up down just down the street from, you know, we lived on the same street, five houses down or so with my, uh, with my cousin. And then when she got married, her husband, we hung around the two of them all the time for family functions and just really got along well. Uh, with both her and with my uh, with her husband. And uh, sorry, I had a bit of a cough there. So I wanted to mute the mic and I accidentally took myself off the screen for just a moment. Um, they had traveled all the way from Ohio, took a flight and went to Reggae Rise Up, not knowing that I was going to be there. And we bumped into each other and it was a blast. And uh, we set up a chance to go to breakfast the next morning. They were staying at a different hotel than me and the friends that were with me. So we went to go catch breakfast in the morning and we uh, reached out to her and her husband and said, hey, you should join us for breakfast. The original plan was for them to come to our hotel and then we would go find a place to eat. And uh, it was taking a little longer than we had planned for everybody to get together. So we said, hey, we're just going to head off to the restaurant and uh, you guys could just meet us there. But I sent her a text trying to convey that idea like, hey, we're now leaving our hotel. We're just going to go to this restaurant and you guys should just meet us there. Whatever language I used to convey that message, it wasn't exactly clear. I thought it was, but it wasn't. So when she gets the message, she perceives it to say that she should still meet us at the original hotel that we were staying at, me, my wife, and our friends. And uh, so what happened was she meets at that hotel. Meanwhile, we're already at the restaurant and now I've created a stressful situation. And, and here was the insight. The insight is she messages me and goes, we're at, you know, she named the hotel, it was the D, the D in Vegas. Um, and so we're at the D, she goes, we're at the D, uh, where are you guys at? And at that point, I realized she misunderstood my text message. I went back and read my text message and I could see how it was unclear at that point. And I um, said, hey, we're at the restaurant already. Here's the address, um, it's, I don't know, it should only be, you know, five minutes away. You, so we'll just wait for you and uh, look forward to seeing you when you get here. But I know, I now know as a 43-year-old adult what happens in this situation. And it's not what I could have told you 10 years ago. I couldn't have. I couldn't have named it. I couldn't have saw it. 10 years ago, I would have left it at that. And and having been on the other side of that situation, I know what happens. You, you know, it's Las Vegas. It's uh, in the summer. It's warm. You're going to sweat. It's hot, um, you know, over 100 degrees. And uh, you now have the shame and embarrassment of not being where you're supposed to be. So everybody's waiting on you. So you start uh, walking quickly. You start, you know, sweating yourself because of your nervousness and because of the weather. And it just makes everything really uncomfortable. So as I immediately recognize that that's the position that this misunderstanding has placed them in, I sense within me the ability to send one more message and to help another person to feel calmer and better about their situation so as to reduce the amount of stress and anxiety that they're feeling. And so I grab my phone and I send out one more text message and I say, hey, Laura, Laura's my cousin's name. Say, hey, Laura, I just went back and read my text and I can see how easy it would have been to misunderstand me. Um, please don't feel any shame or embarrassment. Just take your time and get here. And once 
you're here. We're just super excited to be able to enjoy breakfast breakfast with you guys and to enjoy your your company. And we're looking forward to seeing you. And uh, I sent that off. And so when they got there, they were just happy and calm. And it was like no big deal. And uh, I ended up buying breakfast for everyone because um, the main reason was because of that misunderstanding, it kind of delayed my friends. It made my cousin feel shame. And so I just said, you know, let, let me just buy breakfast for everyone and kind of make make everything kind of right. Uh, we all had a good time. We all had a great conversation. Everything went well. It the 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 only negative is that in these social interactions with each other, everybody everybody's trying to be them and, and, and do what they're supposed to do in a, in a way that, you know, doesn't hurt anybody else. And anytime we can perceive that somebody in a social situation is feeling shame, guilt, embarrassment, uh, they maybe feel awkward in a moment, any awareness that we have where we can perceive that and just soften it up a little more, just make things a little softer so that the anxiety of another person can be reduced, we ought to do that. And so maybe if instead of just doing the bare minimum in all of these kinds of conversations that we have with people around us, maybe perceive when we are hurting or or causing shame or just the social setting naturally on, a, on its own is providing those kinds of feelings. And if you just go one step further and put an arm around somebody, and say, hey, I see you. I see that thing happen. That could have easily been me. I've done that a thousand times. Like any of those kinds of things where you say, hey, you're not an other in this moment. You're just like me or you're just like us. And and anytime you can say, hey, I know you're feeling awkward in this moment, but you don't need to. Um, we've all been there. It, it easily could have happened. Um, it's not anyone's fault. It's 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 an accident. It's a misunderstanding. Whatever words you use in all of these kinds of situations, you get to go that extra step and reduce anxiety, um, reduce negative emotions in the moment where they're not necessary. Sometimes negative emotions are necessary to feel. You know, it, I lost my mom from cancer a couple of years ago, and that experience, the grief and sadness, it just is what it is. When you lose somebody, that's necessary. But sometimes we feel negative emotions that aren't necessary to feel. And you and I, being more aware of people around us, we can go to great lengths. And sometimes it's just little tiny things we could do to reduce significant, significant amounts of stress and anxiety in other human beings. And so those are my three stories. And I hope that you get something from them. And I'm super excited to... Uh, for you to witness and be a part of and to enjoy the Almost Awakened podcast in 2022, uh, you can check out our website at almostawakened.org. And uh, we also have a Reddit page. Reddit, uh, the, the name of the page is Almost Awakened, all one word. And there's also a Facebook group uh, for the listeners of the Almost Awakened podcast. And uh, I'm super excited for 2022 this year. Um, and of all the things that I'm excited about, the content that we will be bringing to you and the exciting things we're going to help process uh, in 2022 are at the top of the list. And so I hope each of you have a fantastic day and uh, thank you for uh,